Welcome back to the God's Story podcast, uh, part two, calling us back to Jesus and the Word of God. I'm joined once again by Rido, the Reverend Ian Reed of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston North, New Zealand. Rido, welcome back. How are you, Brent? I'm tickety-boo. Uh, remind us all, what is God's story? Well, it's getting back to the heart of the gospel, back to understanding that all of the Bible, all of the whole, everything really, all of creation is about who God is, his glory, uh, and that it's his story that we're living in. Mm. Well, you, you've talked about there being two stories. There's God's story and then there's the, the fake hum, hum, human story. As, uh, tell us about that. Well, God's story is about him uh, glorifying himself, about him showing, him, showing himself uh, to the world uh, and to all of creation and him being worshipped and glorified in that. But then there's kind of an alternate story that we that is going on, which is where humans are trying to do the same thing, that we are trying to glorify ourselves and trying to make ourselves known and, and trying to uh, be our own gods uh, and... Who's going to win out at the end is the question, isn't it? Mm. Well, why do we, the church, constantly need to be reminded uh, of the gospel? And, and why do we need to keep going back to the word of God? Well, we need to be reminded because we keep forgetting. It's the, it's the, the, that word remember is the uh, most repeated word, I think, most repeated verb in the New Testament that we just constantly forget. We always we tend towards our own hearts uh, rather than towards God's heart. And so we just need to be constantly drawn back to him. Now, the place that that can ha- only happen is in God's word. And it's the place where he is drawing us back towards himself. It's a place where he's revealed who he is. Mm. Well, last week we looked at Hebrews chapter 1, and we saw that Jesus was greater than the angels. And we looked at ways in which we and the church can get Jesus very wrong. And we, we talked about legalism and the danger of falling into works. And today we're going to look at chapter 2. What's the big story here? Well, chapter 2 is, it starts right at the beginning, really. We we dealt with angels last week, but we kind of, we're going almost backwards a little bit to Adam and Eve. uh, And we're looking at who they were, about what God is doing, and um, kind of through that story, and, and how we kind of well, how Jesus kind of fulfills their story too. Mm. How does Hebrews 2 and the book of Hebrews uh, generally talk about the ho- this whole issue of falling away? This is one of the big, big interesting things in uh, chapter 2 is this, this falling away. And it is such a big issue, isn't it, for, mm. for so many Christians. And it really it, it plays on a lot of people's minds that maybe I've done something that, that it means that I'm going to be rejected by Jesus. That maybe I'll, in the future, I'll uh, I'll do something naughty and I'll be gone. And it's interesting that that this that Hebrews uh, was almost left out of the canon, out of the Bible, uh, and over including this issue. This was one of the things because it addresses this in a, in a interesting way, and people were a little bit unsure about about what it was saying. Mm. Well, can we fall away? Yes and no. And I think this is the interesting thing about Hebrews is that it addresses that issue in a different way to the rest of the New Testament. And because it addresses it in a different way, we kind of, we instantly go, oh, what, what's this saying? But at the same time, I think what it does is it, it gives us some certainty. It will tell us, as we'll see, it really does help us see who we are, who Jesus is, 
and really, if Jesus has taken hold of us, he will not let go. Well, we're both, I don't like this word Calvinists, but I guess we're both Calvinists, um, but, but I'd prefer to say we're just biblical. What do Calvinists believe about this whole area of perseverance? So it's, it's one of our kind of core tenets, isn't it, that, that if God has taken us in, he'll take us all the way in and we can't get our, our way out. Uh, and no matter what we do, we can't pull ourselves out. The question, though, of perseverance is always, has God taken us in? And I know that I'm not trying to unsettle us in that, but that is the big question, is, is kind of that if, if God has chosen his people, if he's, if he's uh, sent his son to redeem them and he has redeemed them, then he will redeem them. You know, kind of, there's nothing that we can do to, to, to pull back from that. Mm. Which is contrary to uh, what many uh, believe in the area of what they call Arminianism, isn't it? Yeah, and I think... The, um, I mean that that's been the traditional kind of argument is between Calvinism and Arminianism. Although I think in both of those schools that there there has been confusion about what's going on, uh, and in different ways. But also, I think most people don't have no idea what we were talking about. <laughs> that no, no, they they don't because this is just not taught in our churches today, or not many churches. No, you're right, and I think we we've actually ended up in a form of what's called Pelagianism right. ra- rather than even uh, than Arminianism. You know, I'm not an orthodox Arminian. I, I will happily ha- have, a, have a coffee with and, and, a, and a good chat. Uh, but I think we've actually ended up in a form of what we would call heterodox, which is kind of heresy, uh, in towards Pelagianism, which is saying that I get in and stay in by my works, you know, kind of rather than what Jesus has done. I've never understood the appeal of this um, viewpoint. It puts all the onus to stay in and stay faithful on me. What did, I think Augustine said that Pelagianism, well, that idea that I stay in by what I do, is our mother tongue. It's, it's what all of our hearts tend towards. And, so, and it just pops up in different forms all the time. So it's not a, yes, you're right, but that's who we are as human beings. Um, and there's a... a I think there's a reason for why we do that, and that's because God has kind of made us to be in relationship with him. Uh, and the way that we were created was to be obedient, but we don't, we're no longer obedient. And so we do put the onus on ourselves. Grace is so unnatural, isn't it? Mm. And I've, I've had people, I've been teaching Bible studies for years, I've had, I've had people get absolutely livid with me for even daring to suggest that God might keep them all the way. And that we we uh, that we are saved by grace, and and that we persevere, and that we are kept. I've had people get absolutely livid, with, and I can't understand why. But the opposite is so freeing, yeah. In terms of God's got you. you know? yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, if it's a choice between God keeping me and me keeping myself, I know who I'm going to trust in. Yeah, I can't do anything myself. No, <laughs> I'm no, pretty hopeful. No. That's my wife. She <laughs> kind of maybe don't ask her. Um, no, but it's. I know myself. I'm rubbish <laughs> as a human being. I, I set out to do things, and you know, a week later, I can't do it anymore because I just I've given up. But and I would give up on Jesus pretty quickly if it was up to me. It would, I wouldn't have lasted long as a Christian. But knowing that He's got me is so much more freeing. It's just and knowing that when I sin, I can come back and, and ask for forgiveness, mm. and I am forgiven. Mm. It's just oh, it's just so reassuring, isn't it? Well, people, yeah, but people misunderstand this biblical. Or Calvinist, I really don't like that word. But Cal- Calvinist view, they and they, 
they have this idea that, well, what sort of distortions of, of, of the idea of Calvinism have you come across? I think um, the, the more modern kind of, some of the more modern forms of Calvinism have ended up in a lot of arrogance, that people have come from a place, often they've, been, they've grown up in a church, this is what I've seen, they've grown up in a church which wasn't strong biblically, then they've discovered kind of Calvinism and they've gone all the way in terms of it's this is everything and it's almost a salvation by doctrine <laughs> and it ends up in, in an awful sense of, um, of arrogance and what um, Francis Schaeffer says is that when you have there's two things that a Christian needs to hold together it's uh, loving people and God's holiness kind of living those together and when God's holiness uh, is overemphasized at the expense of God's love, it's an awful, awful thing. And it's the most ugly thing that you mm -hmm. can see in the church. And I do mm -hmm. feel like the uh, people, some people that have come to Calvinism, that's what it looks like. And man, it's just, it's awful when people kind of experience that. Mm -hmm. And you also get this idea that uh, once saved, always saved, regardless of what we do or think. This is a distortion that people have thrown at me. And I say, well, the Bible doesn't actually teach anything like that. No, and I've come across that as well and people have leveled that at me and I had no idea what they were talking about <laughs> and uh, it's this idea that we get a decision for Jesus and that person's saved that's it doesn't matter what they do for the rest of their lives they've, they've made this decision for Jesus uh, and they're in you know kind of it's just like but that is a that is a very big distortion not only of the Bible but you know what many many people particularly in reformed theology have been talking about mm. so how does a real biblical understanding of salvation then give us assurance here's this word again assurance mm. right at the heart of it is that jesus has done everything it's it, it's about grace and it really is the heart of reformed theology and, and calvinist theology is grace i think it's funny that we that's the one thing that we keep missing but everyone misses it um but Really, at the heart of it, it's grace. You get in by what Jesus has done. You stay in by what he's done. And there's nothing you can do to, to get out of it. But at the same time, that just gives us so much freedom to understand what God has made us into, his holy people who get to serve and love him. And it doesn't lead to... This is the, the accusation that's leveled against Paul, isn't it? Go and, go and sin because mm, mm. You, you're saved. Well, mm. no, it doesn't. It does the opposite because you understand what you've been saved from and, and that you've contributed nothing to it. Nothing to it. Mm. But the, the author of Hebrews, as we've already uh, started exploring, sp does speak of a very real danger of us drifting away, doesn't he? Well, how is that compatible with what we've been talking about, with a, with a biblical understanding of salvation? How can he, how can he say that? And, and I think this is about the context of Hebrews. For me, that's the understanding who is being written to is really important. And it is often the, the problem with when we read the Bible is we misunderstand the context and then we misunderstand how we kind of, we, we apply it to ourselves without understanding how it should be read to the people that were first reading it. And that verb drift away there, that's it's in verse one. Um, the verbs in Hebrews are really interesting. And that, that's one of the ones that is really interesting. But the, the picture we're getting is of a boat going down a stream or going down a river and there's a wharf and uh, you, you head your way to the wharf and then you tie your rope on, onto the wharf but then the boat kind of drifts away slowly. And, and for me, what, how, I've how I understand this and in terms of the context of it is that this is a group of people still working out who Jesus is 
uh, and they, they've come and heard about him. But whether they have stood on the wharf or not is the question. And so it's possible to come and hear about Jesus, to know him, but to never actually accept him. And so you've heard about him, you've, uh, you've understood a little bit about him, but you've never kind of put your faith all the way in him and come and stood on the wharf. Because otherwise what happens is you, you kind of put one foot on the wharf, you put one foot in the boat, what happens? You kind of do the splits and... It gets very uncomfortable. <laughs> well, you know, it gets quite wet <laughs> pretty quickly, <laughs> doesn't it? But the boat, you know... You don't, you don't like boats, Rito, I think. I hate boats. Why, why, why is that? I don't hate them, but, you know, just... I'd rather be in the water than on top of the water. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I've just had some bad experience. I get really seasick in, in boats. Oh, yes. No, it's channel... Try the channel crossing on a, on a rough day. Between England and France. Oh, that sounds terrible. I've done the Cook Straits uh, crossing. <laughs> Even worse. Probably 20 times, and I, I, I don't want to do it again. <laughs> no, no, you kind of, oh, it's terrible stuff. Anyway, was the, was the problem then for these Jewish Christians that they wanted to have Jesus and the law? I think so. I don't think it's in the same sense as in Galatians, where they've accepted Jesus and then they've added on the law to that. I think it's more in the sense of for their salvation, they're saying, okay, I'll, I believe in Jesus, but I actually need to go and sacrifice. I need to be obedient to the law to have salvation. Now, that, 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 to us, it kind of seems a bit weird. How can you possibly have both? But I think in their minds, that's what they're, they're trying to hold both together. And so they're, they're going back and, and observing Passover and, the, and they're still observing the Jewish feast, do you think? That's what it sounds like. And it even sounds like maybe that they're going to the temple at times and sacrificing, just the, the way that that pops up uh, through, the, through the book. Mm. Well, there are still people observing the Jewish feasts in New Zealand here, the Christians. Yes, yes. I, you know, I often hear people doing that, particularly the, doing the Passover and things like that. Um, I mean, I, I'm not totally against you know kind of going through some of the understanding some of the tradition, but observing it as a, in a in a way that's kind of going to add to your holiness or add to your relationship with God. I, I would be a bit wary of that. Mm. Okay, what does the author say then about our salvation in verses three to four? Do you want to read it for us? I'll read it for us. Yes. Well, I'll start at verse one actually. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Mm. Mm. It's an interesting couple of verses, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Uh, and so the, the big thing there in verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So is it the... Are we going to go back? Are we going to go back to obedience to the law? Uh, but look at look at what it says about obeying, going back to obedience to the law. What does it? You know, when there's transgression, what happens? There's there's judgment as well. And, and so, what do we need to do? We need to go and trust in Jesus. This, this is really the the heart of what's being being going to be told you know, said to us in in Hebrews that we need to come to Jesus, and it's been attested to by people, by witnesses, and it's been attested to by God Himself through the Holy Spirit. Mm. In what sense are we all in danger of drifting away? Then, 
Well, in the sense of not actually uh, kind of going all the way in, not, not in the sense of putting our full trust in Jesus. Now, I, we need to be careful because it's, we, we could end up in guilt. You kind of think, oh, maybe, or, or you kind of doing the opposite to what we want to do and saying, oh, maybe I haven't gone all the way in. Maybe I don't have enough faith. Uh, but that, that's not the point. The point is saying, am I trusting, have I put my trust in Jesus for my salvation or am I trying to do more than that with other things? Mm. So the, the issue isn't, are we holding on to Jesus? The issue is that Jesus is holding us and he, and he won't let us go. Is that the issue? I think so. And that's the point of the, that the, the drifting away is that if we haven't gone on to the wharf, then we are in danger of drifting away. But if we are on the wharf, no matter what, we are being held by him and he won't let us go. Mm. Okay, so how then does the author of the Hebrews show the Hebrews and us that Jesus is better than the law? Good question. <laughs> let, let me, let's have a quick read. Yeah. <laughs> um, is that in the next section? Yes, yeah, so the next section, verses 5 on. Oh, so it, it's talking about here, about that the law was given through angels... So if you have a look there in verse 5, now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we're speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honour, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now that's, it's a quote there uh, from, which psalm is it from? Let me find that. Sorry. Psalm 8, of course. Ah, yes, Psalm 8, yep. So talking about humans uh, kind of being greater than angels themselves because God is going to come as a human, you know, kind of in Jesus, but more than that, uh, it's that God loves these beings and he's going to do something to redeem them. Yeah. So is that why he goes back to the creation there in those verses? I think so, because yep. he's going right back to Adam and Eve. He's mm -hmm. going right back uh, to understand what's their issue, that God, is lo God loves them, God has made this world to reveal himself to them, not to angels, but to human beings. Mm. In what sense is Jesus the perfect human then? Well, he is the, he's the one that comes and does what Adam and Eve didn't do, does what we don't do, which is glorify God or worship him in every aspect of his life. You know, that's a, that's a pretty tall ask, isn't it, to, to kind of say to someone, hey, you be perfect for every single moment of your life. Even when we try and be perfect, we actually we make our perfect perfection about ourselves. Uh, but what Jesus does, he makes every single moment of his life is in worship to God rather than to himself. So he's really the true Adam. He, do, he does what Adam failed to do. Yes, yes, definitely. Mm. Verses 9 and 10, Rito, what in what sense has Jesus not yet finished his work in creation? Yeah, it has that... Uh, very interesting thing. Let me just read that little bit out. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honour because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Is that the bit you were, you were referring to? Yep, yep, and on to verse 10. Oh, yep. For it was fitting that he for whom, by whom, and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. You have got that... Weird little bit in there, isn't it? He should be made perfect. 
um, that Jesus is somehow lacking in something, but it's not in that sense that Jesus has to be made perfect. It's in the sense that he is actually being, he has to be the thing that we are not. And yep. so he has to be the Adam and Eve that we are not. For And it's, it's not that there's something lacking in him, but he has to prove himself kind of in that. Because mm, Jesus is perfect already. He doesn't need any more, presumably. Let's hope so. Mm, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yes, 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 yes definitely. Yes. There's, no, there's no doubt about that. Uh, but the point being that if he's the true son, well, then the true son is going to be the true son when he lives that out. Mm. So th- this is part of the God story, that, that Jesus comes to restore creation, to be the perfect human, really. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And that, 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 I think the thing that's, that's mind-blowing for me is that that is, who, uh, that is what God has been doing from the very beginning. Mm. Even This is not a plan B for God. Mm. This is what God is always trying to be. You know, we kind of think that God is somewhere distant, angry at us. He kind of, you know, kind of wanting to, to judge us, but it's actually the opposite. He wants to come close to us, and he does that in his son, and he wants to reveal who he is uh, as the one who's the true worshipper and bring us into that worship too. Mm. Verses 11 to 13, how does Jesus do what we cannot do? Shall sure. we read it? Do you, you want re- me to read, read it? it first, yeah. uh, where are we? Verse, verses 11... 11 to 13, did I say? Yep. yep. Uh, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. That's us, presumably, Rito, brothers. Yes. Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children God has given me. So it's pretty clear what Jesus is doing, isn't he? He's making us into family. Mm. It's kind of a, an interesting thing that the Bible does is that it makes it, it always uses that language of family, kind mm. of for. It's like Ephesians, uh, where it talks about us being adopted as as children or mm. sons. Yeah, mm. and but God can only do that if he himself becomes a human being as well, uh, and that is what Jesus has done. He, he's become our brother. Uh, and we are now brothers and sisters because he is our brother. Mm. How does verse 14 then speak of the fall? Do you want me to read that one? Yeah, you read that one. Sure. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Well, it's talking about Satan here, isn't it? Mm. He kind of in And Satan kind of holding some power over human beings but isn't this the the interesting thing is that satan thinks he has his power but god kind of disarms that power by taking on that power and dying himself it's kind of the is that beautiful moment in the line the witch in the wardrobe where yeah. aslan kind of does and it's, it's lewis does such a good job in illustrating what is going on here that that satan thinks he has his power over humans uh, but what it, what really happening is that God is using that power against him. Mm. Well, how specifically did Jesus break this curse of sin and death? Well, by specifically dying on the cross, mm. uh, and you know that's not something that we should be ashamed of talking about, is it? But it's it's something that is true, uh, and it's something that's historical. This is the the great thing about this is this is what we see uh, kind of in the Bible, and the central point in the Bible is the cross. It's the cross and the resurrection kind of coming together uh, in that God has come up against his power. He's defeated it 
and now Jesus reigns. Mm. Uh, verse 17, why did Jesus have to be made like us? Uh, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make, I love this word, propitiation, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Well, the, the, the big issue kind of standing through all of history, uh, particularly the Old Testament, is that God needs, we've offended God and the, the penalty for that is death. Uh, and the and the death of a human. Now, God doesn't want to take our lives, uh, but if we constantly are living in that alternate story, that story of where we want to be God, well, then that's what needs to be paid. And so, what? But what God does is that He comes Himself to make that payment. And He can only, because He's perfect, He can make that payment not only uh, for you and me, but for everyone, kind of in that. Well, and this is what people call the atonement. The, and and penal substitution? Yes. Yes. It, does, it sounds like a terrible kind of concept, doesn't it? But this is the way that, that, that God works. I, I think that's pretty clear in Scripture. Yeah, God has a, if I can put it like this, has a legal mind, doesn't he? Yes. It's, it's not all kind of... No, 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 it's no, not no. the only thing that's no, going no, on the cross, no. is it? But it's definitely one of the core kind of things, is that the, the, a, 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 an offence has been made, a payment needs to be made. Now, the, the beautiful thing is that he has made that payment. Mm. And and a transaction takes place, and a and a substitution takes place. Mm. Yep. And so we should have been we should have been the ones hanging there. Yes, definitely. Uh, and isn't that the that's the the point, isn't it? And the beauty of it is that we are not the ones there. Mm. So Jesus is our. Uh, this is why uh, we can say that Jesus is our substitute. Yes, can't we? And we're going to come on because we are aware that there are all sorts of very strange views of the cross and of the atonement circulating out there and we want to come on and uh, uh, in the in the next few podcasts and have a look and ask some people uh, really how the cross works if I can put it like that so yeah so uh, in what sense is Jesus interested in making us true sons and daughters of Adam then well it's about the relationship that they have with with God at the beginning that it's this perfect relationship uh, there they freely worship him they're freely in relationship together and that's what we're being brought back to but we're even made better than them in, in a sense that we're made so that we can't stop worshiping kind of and, and we are being made into that because we're being made holy have been made holy yeah i, w I want to deal with it. jesus our merciful and faithful high priest oh, this is one of the most magnificent uh, verses in hebrews verse 17 mm. Uh, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. And in what sense then is Jesus our merciful and faithful high priest? And what does that and what does that mean? Well, high, the high priest uh, in the Old Testament. This is something that gets picked up later in Hebrews, but the and in, introduced here. But the high priest was the one who went once a year into what was called the Holy of Holies, the very centre of the temple, offered sacrifices there on the Day of Atonement for, the, for the, his own sins, but particularly for the sins of the community, uh, that it was, the, it was the way of restoring relationship with God. Now, that, uh, that position was, it was quite a, a well-regarded position. They had a, quite a lot of authority uh, because they represented the people. And they, if they didn't do their job right, then the people didn't have relationship with God. They... And so it was this important important person. But that important person, that high priest, is only pointing towards Jesus 
and what he is actually going to do, which is bring us back into relationship with God entirely because he takes us all the way in uh, to God's presence. Mm. Uh, and what does this word propitiation mean? And um, it's a question I was asked in my first year at college. How does it differ from expiation? How did you answer that? Well, um, I think the I think I first encountered this when I was reading uh, a commentary on Romans by C. H. Dodd, and he want, wanted to translate this, or the, the the equivalent passage in in Romans expiation. But I think expiation has it has. It, it doesn't carry with it the idea that God is angry mm. at sin in the same way that propitiation does. Am I right? Well, C. H. He, I think C.H. Dodd was kind of reasonably controversial on this issue, mm. wasn't he? Mm. Uh, and I mean, there's, there is some discussion about whether they're actually different things or not, that propitiation or, or expiation. But in my mind, propitiation is that God is angry at sin mm. because of his holiness, it's not that God is just kind of an angry God sitting out there somewhere and just kind of look at all these naughty people. He is angry at sin because if sin comes into contact with his holiness, uh, it can't exist or he can't exist. And so his anger is not so much at the kind of the, the people and the, and the sin itself. It's that he can't be in relationship. This is how I understand it, is that it's because he can't be in relationship with those people. He can't fulfill his will in loving them and, and getting them to worship him. Uh, and so that, that, that propitiation is that God deals with the sin himself. He comes and he takes on that, the, the sin. He becomes sin, uh, in, as we're told in the New Testament. Uh, and the anger is poured, he's, he pours his own anger out on himself to deal with the justice of that. Mm. So Jesus achieves propitiation for us and, and on, that, on the cross. And he takes the, the wrath of God or the anger of God that should have been directed at us. Uh, and, uh, and his righteousness is imputed to us, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. Yes. It's a big word, imputed, isn't it? Yeah, well, what does that mean? That's, well, I, uh, my uh, background before becoming a pastor was in, in accounting. We, we, in accountants often talk about imputation. Uh, it's that you someone pays the tax on your behalf uh, and you become... It's as if you have paid it. And that, that, that was always helpful for me. I know not everyone likes tax like I do, but um, all, all my quirks are coming out, uh, Brent. But um, the, the, it's the idea that someone pays for something on your behalf and it's as if you paid for it. Mm. They kind of pass that on to you. Yeah, and so that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. He, he achieved propitiation. Yes, yeah. Yep. yeah. And it's kind of a hard thing to for us to understand that someone would, possibly do that let alone i think the beauty of it though for me is that it's god doing this himself we kind of it seemed people often ask why can't god just forgive you know kind of well he kind of did just forgive you kind of, but we don't like how he did how he did the forgiveness he, he did it in a way that reveals his very heart in dying for us mm. it's, it's an extraordinary thing isn't it i mean we'll come on to deal with the the cross and and how this all works and uh, in, in the next few podcasts, because we want to spend a bit of time on it, because it's not taught, is it? Really? No, no, and, and to our detriment, really. It, it, you know, kind of, if we if we misunderstand the cross and we get that wrong, we misunderstand who Jesus is, uh, and we just end up in a big problem. You know, we just we miss the gospel, and we miss we miss the beauty of the gospel. Mm. This is the the thing that that I I find staggering is that if we as soon as we move on from the cross, we move away from God's very heart and we move away from 
really experiencing the joy and, and the grace that he has to offer us. Coming back to our original question, Rito, how then, how then do we persevere? Look to Jesus. <laughs> That's what I said last Jesus, week, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, I think that there's this funny thing that, that we, we're a bit afraid of getting into the nitty-gritty of some of these doctrines. Uh, we're a little bit afraid of talking about propitiation and things like that and understanding what, the cro- what happens at the cross. But what I find is that when, I'm, when I do those things, it actually bring, brings me to worship uh, and it brings me to love Jesus more. And so I'm not, af- I'm not afraid of doing those things, I'm not afraid of uh, looking deeply in- into some of these hard things because it actually brings me assurance. It brings me love. It, it just really it shows me how-, how much I can love God and how much I can trust him. And so that if our, uh, our debt is paid and our sin and guilt is dealt with by Jesus, then we can trust in that. It's a legal, it's a legal thing. God has, has, as it were, banged his gavel down and said, you're free to go. My son has paid for your sin uh, and his righteousness is imputed to you. You're, you're free to go. It's, and it's a once and for all transaction Ian. it doesn't need to be done over and over and over again that little phrase keeps popping up in hebrews once and for all. we haven't encountered it we haven't encountered it just yet but we will mm-hmm. uh, and we will quite a few times but that that idea once and for all it's like wow kind of all my sin has been taken care of i don't need to kind of worry about oh i, I i've messed up a little bit or i messed up a big bit you kind of it's not that god isn't grieved by that of course he is but my relationship with him is not changed. Mm. And so we, we can persevere knowing that this once and all transaction is done for us. And we can, if we do sin, we can go back. We, can, uh, we have grace. We, we, uh, we can come back to God and say, I'm sorry. And we're not going to lose our salvation because of it. No, this is a question that, that pe- people often ask me is, is kind of that, you know, can I lose my salvation or can I sin enough to get out? Or even... One of the things that I often find people ask is, I didn't pray tonight uh, to ask for forgiveness. Or what, what happens if I forgot some of the sin that I've done during the day? And I said, well, there's a lot of sin that I didn't realise I've been do- doing, and God's slowly revealing them to me. But um, no, I don't. It's 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 you know back to that family idea that if we are children of God, well, then you don't stop being a child. You don't suddenly become in and out of being a, being in the family. You are in the family. And, but because you're in the family, you apologize. And because you haven't lived as the way the family expected you to live. That doesn't make you out of the family. Actually, in fact, it, it shows that you are, are definitely accepted because otherwise, if you weren't in the family, you wouldn't be accepted. You wouldn't, there wouldn't be a, a space for forgiveness, would there? Mm. And so how then does Jesus' work on the cross prevent us from falling into legalism? Well, hopefully... Uh, it, if we understand it well, properly, uh, then we keep seeing grace. Uh, we just keep coming back to grace. Uh, we keep saying it's not about us, and we just keep coming back to that again and again and again. It's not what I do; it's what He has done. And so, people often say, "It's kind of we, we. You're not saved by works. Well, we kind of are saved by works, but it's not my works that I'm saved. It's Jesus' works. Mm-hmm. And if I keep coming back to that, then 
My works don't go move forward to my salvation. They spring forth from my salvation. It's so kind of the other way around. As an outworking and a gratitude for what God has done in Christ, really. Well, it's about understanding who I am now, isn't it? I'm 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 a child of this of the King. Well, then I need to live like a child of the King and. I've been made holy, so I'd better be holy. You're a child of Aslan. All right, uh, Rito, Ian Reid, Reverend Ian Reid, thank you very much, uh, uh, and uh, we'll see you all next time. Thank you. Thank you.